Chapter 44 Naked like Adam and Eve, we started jogging back toward the car. A waxing moon had risen in the east, casting a cold, fuzzy illumination over the forest and lighting the way for us. Louisa went in front, with grass and flowers caught in her flowing hair, dirt and leaves stuck on her bouncing backside. Powerful and sexy, she had the aura of an Amazonian princess moving gracefully in the moonlight. I try to keep up with her swift pace, but every muscle in my body is strained to its limits. Born and bred in the wild, I am a caveman hunter with my woman, master of the forest and all its wildlife. We are free from the man-made world. We are liberated from the constraints of civilization. The fog has lifted a little, and we make it back to the place in the gravel road where I parked her Corvette. The car was no longer there. Fresh tire tracks on the road show where somebody must have hot-wired the engine, turned the vehicle around, and driven it away down the hillside. Thieves? Out here, Louisa says, enraged. Shh, I whisper, hearing the hunters and their dogs getting closer. We need to find a hiding place. I grab Louisa's hand and lead her through the trees to the foot of a cliff that I had first noticed on the way up the hillside earlier in the day. We hurry along the rocks until I spot a black hole in the stone face of the cliff. I lead her inside. The smell in the cave is strong, as if other wild animals had used it recently as a hideout. I pull Louisa down close to me when I hear the hunter's party and their hounds getting closer. In the half-shadows, we see a family of wild boars scampering by our cave, Mama, Papa, and several little boars fleeing for their lives. So that's what they're after, I whisper to Louisa. I jump up and grab her hand. Let's get down to the highway and hitch a ride. She just stares at me with a frail look. I don't think I can go on, she says, not without some clothing, and I'm thirsty. I'm going to get you something to drink and something to wear. We passed a ranger station depot before. How will you find it again? Easy. It was nine trees on the left from the turnoff behind the pond with the birdhouse on the third fence post. Ever been here before? No, I noticed it earlier. I count things and store details away. A habit from childhood. Very useful on a foggy night. I kiss the tips of her cold fingers. We need to move, I say. Let's go. We make it to the pond and scoop up chilly water in our cupped hands to drink gratefully. The Park Ranger Depot is a rundown warehouse with a tin roof. We approach cautiously. From behind a massive oak tree, I check the place out. The property is fenced in with a horse stable and a chicken coop. There is no sign of anybody around, and most importantly, there aren't any dogs. I see a bunch of faded horse blankets airing out on the fence. After waiting a couple of minutes to make sure that the park rangers had gone home, I run to the fence and grab a couple of blankets and sprint back to Louisa behind the oak tree. We wrap the horse blankets around ourselves like towels in a sauna, delighted to feel some warmth and cover, though they stink of horse sweat. We stay there until the sound of the hunters and the dogs have faded away somewhere up the foggy hillside. Then we quickly retrace our steps down the pathway and back to the gravel road, finally coming out on the shoulder of the highway. It must have been quite a sight in our horse blankets because nobody would stop to pick us up no matter how much I waved my arms for help. One couple driving by in a camper looked at us like extraterrestrials. 
They slowed down but refused to stop, their bulging eyes glued to us as they pass, making us feel like animals who just escaped the zoo. Finally, a farm truck loaded with crates of fruit and vegetables approached. It was creeping along in the fog with its bright lights on. I stepped out in the middle of the highway with my hands in the air, bare-chested wearing only the horse blanket around my waist, beseeching the driver to stop. He braked hard and stopped his truck only a few feet in front of me. Jesus, are you mad, man? The truck driver cries. Yes, I am, I say. Thanks for stopping. Louisa emerges from the bushes, a horse blanket wrapped under her arms with some cleavage showing. Looking at both of us, the farmer burst out laughing. What the hell? Are you guys lost? What's with the tribal costumes? Can you give us a lift to the nearest town, I say. Sure, hop in, says the farmer. Don't worry about a thing. I used to be a nudist, too. Just got tired of the colony members. The friendly farmer eases clutch into gear on his truck and we move forward, lumbering down the highway. My name's Joe. Nice to meet you, Joe. I'm Louisa. This is Luke. How did you two end up here? The fog, I say. We got lost in the fog and then someone stole our car. Shit, man. I'm sorry for the locals. They hate people like you. They're so narrow-minded. They have a crazy preacher at the local church who stirs them up. He despises nudists. You aren't bothering anybody. Hey, Adam and Eve started out naked, right? Naked and free, I say. Yeah, naked and free, repeats Joe with empathy. Listen, Joe, I explain. We aren't really nudists. Who are you then? Just a man and woman in love. Are you guys out of your mind walking around here at night like that? They stole our clothes, too, says Louisa. I'm sorry about that. See what I told you about the locals? You can get killed around here for taking off your clothes in the first place. They think it's a sin. We love danger, I say. We love sinning. I can see, says Joe. I can definitely see that. Sorry to disappoint you, says Louisa. No, I'm not disappointed at all. Nudism is no big deal, says Joe, shaking his head. Are you hungry? Everything in the back of the truck is fresh. I'm an organic farmer, the real deal. Help yourself. Thanks, Joe, says Louisa. Very nice ex-nudist. I like you too, says Joe. If there were people like you at the nudist colony, I might even rejoin. But then, I'm already one with nature, like they say. Before I can tell Joe how much we've been communing with nature that day, he pulls the truck over abruptly, puts his gears in reverse and backs up a short distance. Then he points at something on the access road off the side of the highway. Through the fog, we make out the outline of Luis's Corvette. Your car, no? I'm afraid so. You're lucky. They took it on a joyride and dumped it close by, says Joe, grabbing a big flashlight. Let's see if we can get it started. While Luisa stays in the truck, Joe and I check out the damage. Somebody had stolen the car's stereo system, but otherwise the Corvette was intact. They hotwired it, says Joe, flashing a beam of light through the window on the driver's side. Stripped wires from the broken ignition switch are hanging below the dashboard. I get in and jiggle the wires together until the engine turns over and comes to life. Thanks for everything, Joe, says Louisa, walking up with a handful of carrots and apples. Glad to be a help, says Joe. You two take care. We get back in the idling Corvette. We turn it around and head back to the city. Joe is waiting in his truck until we make a U-turn and pass in front of him. He waves goodbye to us as we speed away. Chapter 45 
Despite the fact that a couple of gadgets on the dashboard are broken and the leather back seat is missing, I'm able to drive Luis's car back to my place at the Bronx. Thanks to the fog, it takes twice as long as the drive up the Hudson Valley. It smells like a stable inside the Corvette thanks to our horse blankets. We take them off and open the windows. First on the highway and then after on the city streets, hardly anyone notices our bare shoulders. I find a parking spot not far from my place in Riverdale, pull in and gratefully stop the car engine. As we prepare to once again put on the horse blankets and get from the car to the entrance of my apartment building, Louisa turns to me and puts her hand on my arm. Want to know what was on my mind this morning, she asks. Of course, I say. I was wondering what the most important word in my life is. And? Freedom. Being free is the most important thing for me. I felt free with you today. Let's feel free in a hot bath, I say, kissing her. We open the car doors and dash for the building's entrance, <laughs> laughing like crazy people, much to the amusement of other pedestrians on the sidewalk. As soon as we get inside my front door, we drop the horse blankets on the parquet floor and I run hot water in the bathtub. Blankets end up in a plastic bag and we end up lounging in each other's arms in the bathtub. The cuts, bruises, and sore muscles from our adventures in the country yearned for the peace and tranquility of steaming hot water. I turned off all the electric lights and lit a solitary candle that flickered on the edge of the tub. We lay together in the tub silently reflecting about what we had just experienced. We were no longer tribal savages making love on the grass and hiding in a cave from wild animals and hunters. Now, we were typical New York urbanites, staring at the spider spinning his web in a corner of the high ceiling and snared ourselves in a concrete jungle of our own making. Did today even happen, or was it all a beautiful dream? I kiss Louisa deeply and try to figure out where our love story is heading. I resort to my lawyer's skills to divert attention and probe her for some clues. I don't know anything about you, I whisper to her. What do you want to know? Everything. I don't know everything about myself, she says with that laugh of hers. It's a work in progress. Let's start with what you do. You mean professionally? I kiss her. I'm a writer, she says when our lips separate, if you can call writing a profession. What kind of writing? Poetry. A poet? Yes. Surprised? She kisses me. I would have never guessed it, I say when our lips separate. I like putting my life into verse, or verse into my life. What'd you think I did? Magician? The way you pull off your disappearing acts? We both laugh and kiss again. Because I was scared. Still am. I'm scared about what I'm feeling, that's the truth. I'm glad I got it off my chest. What about you? I kiss her. Still recovering from the forest, I say. No kidding, she whispers. With you, it was love at first sight. I never believed that even existed. Maybe I didn't want to believe it. I kiss her more. Once I was in a terrible relationship with an abusive, controlling man hurt me badly. It really did. When I finally dared to end our relationship, I said to myself that I was going to live my life to the fullest. I wrap my arms around her waist and spoon-like pull her back against my chest. I was going to live out all my fantasies, no matter how outrageous they were. 
and that included even buying sex if I felt like it. Every man dreams about being your whore, honey pie, except I hope that that particular fantasy has been scratched off the list. You don't have to worry, my love. I've done most of them with you. Only one is left. Well, now I'm scared. I want to make love on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Does that excite you? I'm more prone to motels, hotels, cars, anything that's available at the moment. From here on, you can add forests to my list. Got it. You want the fastest route to the humpy pumpy machine? Pretty much so. At least that's been my game up until now. Then I met you. And? And what? Since you met me, what happened? I was silent. Words, where were you? My mind was like a car radio scanning the spectrum non-stop, skipping from one station to another without ever making any sense. All I could hear was incomprehensible cosmic blather. I laughed nervously at my own mental paralysis. She laughed with me. I hear you, she says in total seriousness. You don't have to find the right words. I know how you feel without you telling me. It is at that precise moment when I know. I know Louisa is my immortal beloved, the kind of lover that the great Beethoven dedicated all his music to, a love that even death cannot obstruct. What about you? What do you do, she asks. Let me guess. You go to a fucked up club like The Hole and drink Holy Grail cocktails, the absolute shittiest martini in the history of all mixed beverages ever. Between you and me, only desperate people go to godforsaken places like The Hole. Aren't they just looking to get smashed and get laid and not in that order? You're describing most of the people I know with a few exceptions. You must have been very lonely and very depressed. What kind of profession makes a wonderful guy like you feel that lonely and depressed? Stockbroker? No, you're not the type. Surgeon? No, too impetuous. War reporter? That's it. I've got it. You must be a journalist obsessed with sex and alcohol, living on the edge. Sex happened only when you overpowered my free will. Before you, I was content with just getting smashed. It's you who overpowered my free will. You mean fell in love. Lawyers talk for, I fell hard for you. You're a lawyer? Do I hear disappointment in your voice? What kind of lawyer? I mostly deal with people whose rights have been unjustly violated. Human rights? Exactly. Now I know why I fell so madly in love with you, she says, kissing me passionately. You're out there saving people's lives. Saving people's lives is a bit too much. Protecting their rights is more accurate. Is that why your head was bandaged in DC? That was after one of your dangerous missions? It didn't seem dangerous, at least at first. I was in Russia meeting dissidents so that we could get their names published in the States. Apparently, Soviets won't touch known dissidents anymore. I'm not sure that's the case any longer. I'm so blind, I assumed you hurt yourself coming home drunk from some bar. Why were you in the train station? Nothing so dangerous. I was attending the annual Dead Poets Society meeting. It's named after the movie. She steps out of the bath and stands unblushingly in front of me in all the pink glory of the original Eve. You want to hear a poem? Of course I do. Sun down, torn clouds, still no moon. I am this night sky. 
Beautiful. Did you write that? That's not mine. Ishikawa Togoboku wrote it a hundred years ago. You mind if I smoke? Not at all. She lights a cigarette and sits down on the toilet seat. Do you like my body? Crazy about it. Louisa takes a puff on the cigarette, pondering if she should reveal more of her feelings. I see in her eyes that she's decided to take the shortcut. Anyway, that's how I was feeling before I met you. And now? It was many, many years ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabel Lee. In this maiden she lived no other thought than to love and be loved by me. She looks at me with tears rolling down her cheeks. That's Poe, she says, but Unamuno gets even better. Piensa el sentimentio, siente el sentimentio. I think the feeling, I feel the thought. She takes a puff and a cigarette and looks at me hard. You'll never ever leave me, right? Only when I'm dead. Never say that, she says. Never ever say that. She steps into the bath again and buries my head in between her full breasts, wrapping her arms around me. I'm so scared of losing you. Oh God, please do not ever let us separate. She starts sobbing quietly, covering my head with gentle kisses. I'm enchanted yet puzzled by her sincere sense of tragedy and hope. God of eternity, I plead to the cosmic void inside my head. Please never forget the emotions in this bathroom. I no longer want to remember the past or dream about the future. All I want is for this moment to be frozen, multiplied, and expanded. There is no oxygen left in the bathroom, only the love we are both breathing in. As she presses her wet lips to mine, my mind is frantically searching for a prayer. Pray, I hear the voice inside my head say back to me. Pray that this thing with Louisa never ends because there can't be any life without my immortal beloved.